Hi, thanks for listening to Hearsay, my little podcast where I interview people about their life and their creativity. My guest this week is my good friend Dan Kelly. Dan has played with loads of different people, including his uncle Paul Kelly, and we talk a lot about his solo stuff in this podcast and how he started playing music. Dan's story is illustrated by Simon from the band Undead Apes. He also goes under the name Skullnick and Hot Magnets. If you ever want to search him out, those are the names to search for. And he's also my husband, incidentally, and draws some really awesome pictures, mostly of little monsters and stuff. Uh, Happy 2017. I hope you all had a lovely break and I'll keep posting these every fortnight from now on. Oh, and thank you so much for your lovely messages of support. It means so much to me to hear your feedback. If you want to support the podcast or if you hate it and want to leave me an angry review, um, please go to iTunes and rate it. I don't really know how to do that, but you're all smart. You'll figure it out. Uh, Hearsay number six, Dan Kelly. podcast Dan. My pleasure. How are your feelings? My feelings are good. I'm having a, a, a week off. Sounds good. Between? Between I've been doing lots of different things and it was my birthday on Monday so I just come to Queensland and I'm just having a total birthday week. Relaxo. I'm just celebrating myself over <laughs> and over again. That sounds good. I can't wait. We're, we're going to the beach together on the weekend. I'm pretty excited about that. Strawberry Island. Celebrating Dan Kelly. Uh and, 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 and say Vogel. <laughs> um, yeah, I went to school. I did my schoolies at Stratty. So did I. <laughs> really? How, how was it? Because I remember it being pretty drunk in time, but it wasn't hectic. It was kind of like a bit boring compared to what we thought it was going to be. Yeah, same. I mean, I was, you know, I was 16. I was pretty young finishing school because I just got in on the year before, I think. Yeah. And uh, But I remember my father leaned lent us his long wheel based Land Rover, the family car, to my mate who could drive. Yeah. I, mean, I couldn't drive. I, I'm still amazed that he did that now. Yeah, but that's surprising. He, he took him for a drive and said, all right, I trust you. And, uh, and so, yeah, me and sort of eight friends all got in this thing and headed across. And uh, But I don't remember being terrifically exciting for most of it. Just a lot of, like mostly dudes walking around waiting for something to happen, but everything was on the Gold Coast, but we didn't want to. Yeah. So it was sort of good, but sort of yeah. like. Just, I just, we were sick of talking to, to each other by the end of the week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I re- my main memory is that my mum picked us up uh, at the other end of the ferry in, on the Brisbane side and the first thing I did, I came off the ferry and vomited in some shrubbery. <laughs> That's fantastic. Did your mum, did you get the, like, the dark quizzing on the way yeah, home? Yeah, I got a bit of a like, oh, what are you doing? What have you done? <laughs> You've disgraced the family. <laughs> yeah. In- that's great. Yeah. Um, so speaking of family, you've got a shit ton of Kellys. Um, I feel like every time I see you, there's a new relative I haven't met before with you. Yeah. When you were growing up, um, w- were you a musical family? Yes. Well, actually, we were. Um, it's interesting. Like, we, a group of us all moved to Queensland, my grandmother, some of her kids, which included my dad, and we built on the property next door. 
And so we all grew up on this sort of big 20-acre kind of property looking over the cane fields down near the Gold Coast. Um, and my grandmother had sung. Her, her, her parents were both opera singers and conductors. Wow. Um, and she sang and she sang to the kids. And then a couple of her kids, um, my aunt and uncle, both played a lot. But they were down in Melbourne. They'd already made the move to Adelaide, from Adelaide to Melbourne to become musicians. Yeah. And I was sort of up in the 80s just growing up. But I do remember they would always come up for Christmas and then there would be a lot of singing. Yeah. You know, uh, and usually tapes given out. So it was, we were, right. Very, we were right into that. Yeah. You know, there's always tapes and records exchanged, you know. That's great. Um, and that was, it was my mum on the other side, who's not a Kelly. Uh, yeah, she was into playing guitar and playing in folk clubs. And so she taught me how to play guitar. Um, so it was a real combination. It was like my That's dad's lovely. record collection with my mum sort of teaching me guitar and harmonies because we would just... We'd just sing Beatles and Hollies together. Yeah. So that's why I, kind of, I put a lot of used to put a lot of harmonies on my records because I just yeah. love singing harmonies. That's lovely. Um, and what about your brothers and sisters? They didn't really go for it. I think um, some of them could play, but no, I think they kind of just looked at what I was doing because I had you know four younger than me, and yeah. thought we don't really want to live a vagabond <laughs> yeah, life, you know, because um, it's yeah, it's, it's strange. So, but my older sister Alice plays. Um, and I, you know, I learned piano probably as 11, 12-year-old and then moved to guitar. It's a pretty common kind yeah. of trajectory, yeah. I reckon, for young players. They they play piano and then they get yeah. bored or their parents because their parents make them and then they yeah. like... Practising piano is, just doesn't feel very cool either. No. It feels really sort of arduous. Yeah. You can't take one to school and, you know, yeah. play patience in <laughs> front of the girls yeah. and, like, impress them. That's right. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I changed to guitar when I was about 13. So at what point did you sort of start writing your own songs? I tried a bit when I was a teenager, but it was pretty awful. But I remember thinking, because my uncle is a songwriter and, and you know, and basically sustained his, you know, 40 years of his life through being a songwriter. Yeah. So I think I knew even then that even though I just wanted to play lead guitar, I was like, if I don't write my songs, I probably, I'm not going to actually be able to kind of have a life of it. Yeah. Because I, I just think... I remember thinking, particularly this is the days of shredding and yeah. Joe Satriani and, I, you know, I thought I was a pretty good guitar player. I had a good ear but I wasn't, I couldn't shred or do anything. I always thought, oh, well, I'm not that amazing musician so I have to try to yeah. write songs. But, yeah, for awful stuff. Um, <laughs> like then, what kind of vibe? Oh, just kind of wet, <laughs> electric guitar kind of stuff. Probably by the time I started trying to write songs, I was, you know, I was listening to a lot of stuff. I was listening to the Smiths a lot and... Whatever the bands were in in, in that era, mm. <laughs> um, but so you were already sort of past your shred metal, or well, I'd see I listened to shred metal because that's what happened at school. Everyone had hot metal. The the cool dudes were into Poison and Motley Crue, and then Gunners, which was kind of better. Everyone like, but you know, so I was always fascinated by guitar magazines, and it's just like anyone who gets into guitar, the technology really sucks you in for a while, and, and yeah. they're very entertaining to read. Those hot metal mags, they're just it, yeah. sort of idiots, and it's. <laughs> <laughs> and the stories about being on the road and, you know, the massive hair. and yeah. <laughs> But I never listened a lot to it. Um, I mean, I would say out of all the hair metal bands, like Van Halen would be the only one that I still really like mm. in terms of songs. Yeah. Because I still think they've got great songs. But most of the rest of them are just like a really bad I know. I, I listened to Gunners the other day. Oh, Gunners, and okay. I, and I thought it was pretty great still. 
So to me, Gunners is at the end of hair metal. Right. It's like it's not the same. It's as not quite the same. Yeah, because they were kind of more like the Rolling Stones meets metal. But yeah, you're right. They were part of that scene, but it's kind of after that. I reckon a lot of those bands fell away because Gunners was kind of tougher and yeah. The, yeah, that first record's great. Yeah, I'll, yeah. Don't get me wrong there. Yeah, I, I can't remember what I was listening to, but it was um, it was my, oh, I was listening to Don't You Cry. Do you remember that song? I don't even know what album that's on, but I just remember loving that song when I was a kid, and it still it was a really good song. Yeah, they, yeah. Yeah, they got some sweet tunes. <laughs> I don't know if that's Guns N' Roses podcast. Yeah, number one. <laughs> Talk about Axel for the yeah. next twenty minutes. Yeah, I, I, even then I didn't like Axel very much. I thought he was annoying. But, uh, but, really? But I liked the band. Yeah, I thought he was annoying. I just thought he, he was, was a bit of a knob. Yeah. I have a bit of a weird thing with Axel because I remember um, when the November Rain video came out. I think that was like the first time that I ever saw anyone do a tongue pash, oh, really? and I remember it really affecting me. I was like, "Ooh, what's that? I kind of want to do is, that." What is this feeling? <laughs> yeah. It must be Guns N' Roses. <laughs> so fucked up. I mean, that's fair enough. That's yeah. a big wave of nostalgia that you just won't be able to get rid of. <laughs> just put put down on on the record. So when did, did you? So when you were growing up, did you play your mum's guitar or did you get your own? Yeah, mum had a guitar and it was a lovely guitar. Um, was it just a steel string acoustic? Yeah, or? it didn't have a. I don't even think it had a brand, but it was a really nice one. It was mm. very pretty. I remember in a in a good way, like an real English folk style and so I learned on that and yeah I still, it's very exciting it, that first bit where you're learning chords and playing along to songs and, and figuring out how to do it it's pretty exciting like yeah. there's a reason why you know kids come home from school and just don't do anything else for about four years before they discover <laughs> yeah. girls or whatever they're into you know what I mean it's like yeah. because they're just like can't get enough of it so um, were your first the first songs that you learned were they Beatles songs or Holly songs or were you sort of the first songs, it's just, strangely enough, the first songs that I learnt were, I mean, there might have been a couple from a guitar handbook or something like that. Hey Joe, you'd be, yeah. you'd be your classic. Yeah. I'm sure I got my parents to show me Stairway to Heaven because, I mean, they were into Led Zeppelin anyway. Yeah. But my mum had a friend, my uncle Rick, who was my mum's brother, was a like a folk guitarist and had folk clubs and stuff like that because they were both English. They came over in the late 60s. and um, So... You know, in South Australia in the 70s, yeah, he ran like the first vegetarian restaurant and they'd have little folk clubs there. And he had a friend who he played with often who, you know, years later when I was growing up had died and Rick had, this is my uncle, had sent my mum uh, a compilation of all the stuff that they just recorded together on, on an A-track, no, on a, on a reel-to-reel oh, wow. in the early 70s. Yeah. Um, which was like a blast from the past for her. She wouldn't have heard this stuff for 20 years. But so... We had that on tape and I'd loved it. It was great. It was a, it was real, very four-tracky, cheeky English kind of guy doing kind of funny, like spitting up his vocals at times <laughs> or, or some really beautiful songs. Like it wasn't all gags, but it had a real kind of outsidery um, four-track sound, you call it now. But then I was just like, I was really attracted to it. Yeah. So I learned a lot of those songs because there was a couple, of, he would often overdub another guitar and do a duo. So mum would do the one bit and I'd do the other bit. Yeah. And uh, and I, that's when I, I think I really got into playing guitar was through that guy. So you were just learning by ear? Yeah. I mean, I got showed some chords, but I pretty quickly... Um, I got into just picking out solos and, you know, you know, I had family who would give me records and I would yeah. play along with the records. I think playing along with old uh, kind of chess records, like 50s kind of blues and 
like not too complicated blues where you have to have some incredible guitar technique but mm. playing along with that kind of real little Walther stuff or Howlin' Wolf or yeah that's a really good way to learn how because you kind of it's really you rhythmic. learn rhythmic yeah you learn rhythmic you learn <laughs> rhythm you know what I mean like yeah um in a in a way where you get that. so that's kind of what I did and then picking through like FM 104 songs you know and then the guitarist from my uncle Paul's band who was called uh Steve Connolly is a really great guitarist kind of a classicist but in terms of he would just come up with great 60s guitar lines and really melodic stuff and he was but he had country stuff and rock and roll so I just basically learned to play guitar from learning from him then not personally I maybe he showed me one thing when he was at a family dinner but just listening to him play over and over you know that's cool so you just pick up all these kind of different people when did you start your first band and was that the band that was called Nord so the first band I joined was in Trinity College in Beanley and these guys I heard the guys from grade 12 were looking for a guitar player I was in grade 10 they were really funny guys. They looked quite tough. I'd seen them the year before with their own band doing Don't Tear It Down by Spy Versus Spy at the school concert and I was just like, this, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. He was a really great drummer and the drummer started a new band with his mate and they, and they, I heard that they were going to do it so I went up and said, oh, you know, I can play guitar, I've got an amp. And they're like, okay. And they said, all right, listen to this and they gave me Electric by The Cult. Yeah. And I was like, cool. And, and and they said, and the other thing is that from now on you're only allowed to say, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, <laughs> to everything that we say. <laughs> Real Queensland kind of punks. And I was oh, like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, fuck yeah. That was, I don't know why that was their grade 12 thing. <laughs> so I went, and the next day we had a jam and I went home and learned how to play the songs off electric. And they're like, you learnt all the songs off the record. like." And I was like, it was not, the, I mean, you know, you, you know that record. Very Akadaka and there's no shredding. It's a big yeah. chords. And I yeah. hadn't not really heard ACDC. I mean, they were something that you were scared of. Right. Growing for me because I grew up in the bush. Yeah. But, you know, it's super bogan scene. But, yeah. you know, so and that album is basically a massive ACDC ripoff. So I was like, this is fantastic. <laughs> and learn how to play that. So that was it. And we called ourselves Bell and the Clavers, <laughs> which is pretty bad. That's such a good name. We never did a show. And then I had a band in grade 12 with my two guys from my grade and a younger guy and we were called the clams the clams the classic it would have been something like the bearded clams originally like you yeah. know teenage gyno band names like yeah guys can't seem to avoid it at some point between about 16 and <laughs> it's called junket pumper or like meat wand or you know there's so many of those i don't know maybe it was just queensland but it was a constant you, Meat you, Wand is pretty spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> Can we start a band called Meat Wand? Oh, Meat Saber. It could be like a science fiction teenage boys uh, punk band. It's perfect. Um, <laughs> and so then, yeah, well, so I went to Griffith University after that and I played in a band called <laughs> Friendly Syrup. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we did like just, we did four songs and they showed me, they showed me... Um, I went over to the guy's place. He showed me Dirty Boots by Sonic Youth, yeah. which had just come out. And I was, I'd never heard Sonic Youth. I was like, this is really unusual. And yeah. He sort of played, showed me how to play a real COD version of it. Yeah, cool. But we did that and we did we did a Smith song, London, and an R.E.M. song. Very much kind of the stuff of yeah. the times. Yeah. You know, some of those bands had just broken up and some of them were still going, but that was kind of yeah. at a band competition. But we lost to, I think, the Split Peas uh, from Griffith Uni. 
Um, so, are you, so you're obviously doing some live shows around this time with these bands? Or? Well, that was, yeah, that was, we played at the Griffith University um, co-op. No, not the co-op, ups, the rec oh, yeah, club the rec uh, around then. But it was just a couple. Uh, it wasn't until the next year that I sort of started to play. I joined a band with my other flatmates called Nord. Yeah. And it was called Nord because of this girl, Inga Nord, who was a Playboy model that we had in a Playboy magazine. Uh, so, okay. again, it's really semi-gyno kind yeah. of point. I still was under 18 at this point. I have to... But, you know, I was educated that I was going along with that. <laughs> anyway, Inga Nord, we thought it was hilarious Inga that we Nord. called the band Nord and it was, we didn't know about Nord Keyboards. I didn't yeah. even know if they existed. This was 1992. Oh, yeah, they probably weren't around yet. Um, so, and we started playing places like the zoo and sometimes like underneath the Metropolis. Oh, yeah. That venue. Yeah. And I we never were, got to go to that. I was like, just We were like a ma- just all out mud honey, wah, butthole surfers. Just <laughs> like full on, you know, and uh, I sang for them. I probably wasn't very, you know, I had a sort of a sweet kind of singy voice. Yeah. But they didn't want to sing. But they were writing like they were all from the Gold Coast and had, experimenting pretty hard with psychedelics and right into kind of pre, pre-grunge kind of. Okay. Bands like, you know, Jesus Lizard and Still Pole Bar. Yeah. And, you know, we, and Australian bands like, uh, you know, Lubricated Goat. Yeah, the weirder yeah. the better was those guys. So and Kim of, Salmon, they got me into yeah. all that stuff. So So were you like yelly? Well, I tried, but it sounded silly. But that's why the band was probably not that good to watch. Okay. You had a, some guys playing quite weird, frenetic kind of butthole surfers. Okay. Wah, with a guy with like an Earth First T-shirt and glasses <laughs> and long hair going, <laughs> You just wanted to sing like an angel. Well, I didn't. I didn't destiny. sing. I didn't sing in that horrible Jeff Buckley style. But I just couldn't. I just didn't. I never sounded that good as an aggressive yeah. singer. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I would I'd, be terrible. So I'd just be going. I don't know what a song's called. Like Plasma was one. <laughs> Plasma. <laughs> flaming guat rings with another flaming guat rings. <laughs> falling sirens. <laughs> uh, and you know we did. We supported Custard. I remember. At um, oh, Griffith cool. University. Did they hate it? They hated it. And <laughs> we went outside to smoke a joint afterwards and they, we heard them going, this is a Nord song, and then just doing this like... Oh, no, they like, made fun of you. Fuck these guys. Oh. Hate custard. Because <laughs> <laughs> we were really anti, you know, the other bands in Griffith Uni was like Clag. Yeah. Um, oh, well, who were in that scene? You know, Byro. Yeah. Uh, Clag, Nick Norton, Crew, Melnix. Yes. Yeah, and we at the time just was like I was not I didn't have really have my head around kind of yeah uh, I listened I sort of grew up listening to pop music in a sense but I thought it was quite silly at the time that they were singing about rubbish bins yeah. I hadn't heard Jonathan Richmond and all these sort of things that yeah that they um, influenced and, by. you know and I ended up particularly custard you know really loving that band because I realised he was just super clever yeah fantastic songwriter and and same with um. John Swingle. John Swingle, from yeah. Byro. Yeah, I just at the time I we were part we weren't we were kind of just weirdo got Gold Coast outsiders and probably thought we didn't think we were very cool, but we thought we were kind of weird. We wanted to be weird. You sounded weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but you know, like I said, that all sort of I'm you know friends with all those heaps of those people now. Yeah. Like from that scene. Do they remember you? Oh Nordo remembers me, Nick Norton, yeah. you know, who you know, yeah. plays with a bunch of bands, Gentle Ben and the Melnix crew. We'd all be suspicious of each other, but <laughs> now it seems really silly. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you find different things important back then too, like when you're younger. You know, if you don't like the same bands, that's a real no-no. Um, yeah. 
you know, I mean, I I had fairly Catholic tastes from from one angle, but I was definitely joining. I was joining with my little crew. Yeah, you went to the Stooges, and like we we felt like you should like a Stooges. Like you had to be a gang. You didn't. It wasn't. You had to be sort of a evil street gang yeah, kind of yeah. thing, which is hilarious. Again, if yeah. you'd see me because <laughs> I look look more like sort of David Koresh than. <laughs> You know, Iggy Pop. How was your hair back then? A very long and fluffy. Long yeah, and fluffy. I was a, a, quite, a, quite vain about it. What kind of songs? Like, how how were you approaching songs? I would then, you know, because they'd had a band before that called Liquid Meat, and they'd written a lot of the um, <laughs> this, you know, like the framework. So they were big, staggery kind of riffs. Yeah. You know, sort of power riffs with wah. Um, and were you writing any uh, of those? Uh, what, no, like I brought a couple of songs to the band, but they were, they would have been more something like, I don't know what I was listening to at the time. They definitely, I mean, they got me into a lot of those bands. That's where I learned a heap. Um, we were living in Tennyson yeah. on the King Arthur Parade. I don't know. It's the one that goes, the main Tennyson Street was a really lot of posh houses and we got the one non-posh house on the Brisbane River. Yeah. So... So, but they'd brought all this stuff up from their Gold Coast rehearsal rooms, and I just sort of joined in. So I, I didn't write a lot of it, um, and we didn't. It's something I really. It, because, okay, I've got a theory about this. We grew up when covers bands were everywhere, and they were the only people getting gigs on the Gold Coast and mm. su- suburbs. And so, even though I grew up learning to play other people's songs, as soon as I got into playing uh, originals, as you'd call them. <laughs> it was a, just a no-no. You would just never do a cover. Okay. We would rather bash away at just sh- really shitty... I mean, sometimes, you know, we'd I'd play a Stooges song with the drummer Steph because we left together for fun. But yeah. in the band, it was really like we're doing originals. This is our own thing. Yeah. Um, which is kind of really good. But I, I, we never learned that stuff about like where everyone sits in the in the mix, you know, yeah. like... We were just everything playing, everything and was the whole, loud. You know, which is grunge. I mean, to yeah. an extent, how grunge kind of the only reason grunge sort of worked out that sort of loud, soft thing is because they couldn't figure out that they all had to do the same thing at once. <laughs> <laughs> no, we play soft, <laughs> no, loud. <laughs> that was the dynamic of that sort of period. So we yeah. sort of fitted in, but it took me a long time after that when I started actually doing my putting my own songs out as me. Yeah. To work out with a band that you all have to slot into this kind of little yeah, grid a dynamic, in a way. Like yeah. it's almost a visual thing. Mm. Otherwise, it, and it sounds heaps better. Yeah. Um, I remember we, we, we played at the Griffith University band competition and John Willsteed was the judge. And, oh, yeah. he, and he was like, guys, he was really nice, but he was like, you know, go and listen to this band for Gazi. They know how where to put everything. Great advice. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we're like, fucking fuck you, man. We like for Gazi. <laughs> <laughs> But it was really good advice because, you know, we were just a big, a big brown wall of sound. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when did you start good, doing, what What was the demise of, of that band and when did you start doing your own stuff? Is that when you moved to Melbourne? Pretty well. Like we sort of had a final last gig on the Gold Coast where we were playing at um, Beach Road and it was a Grand Prix night and we'd got a, we'd got a show um, that our friend, one of the guys in the band had booked and was with his other band's mate, uh, mate's band called load <laughs> just to go with the gold coast theme um and uh we hired a pa and um it was packed and load played and they, they were kind of like sort of aggressive radio birdman 
yeah. kind of thing. And people like, ah. Uh, and then we all took acid and um, played and it was awful. Like, I think we had some, some song called, what was it called? Taste the Oil. And it would just go <laughs> on and on and on, like for 12 minutes of just... <laughs> and I just remember everyone leaving, like a whole Gold Coast nightclub full of glammed up kind of... And, uh, and it was a really bad vibe and we'd, I'd never taken acid before on stage and everything just felt like it was melting around me. And, wow. And we got to the end of the night and everyone left and I had to pack up the PA with the mixer who was a midget and he had a stutter. <laughs> And, wow. And he came up and he's like... It sounds like a bad situation for someone on drugs. I know. I was like, is this really happening? <laughs> and so I had to carry this huge PA stacks with this midget guy who was like, like struggling under a huge stacks. It was his own oh, PA. No. And, and stuttering at me at the same time and sweating. And I felt Shoot. so much empathy. Yeah. But also horror that I yeah. was having to do it. And, you know, the Gold Coast is an awful place to take drugs. Like Where the were vibe. the other people? They just... Everyone said it's scar- scarpered. Oh. So... Um, and maybe oh, they were like, you didn't help set up. I was oh, like, okay. yeah, no, so maybe that I'd driven up from Brisbane and didn't okay. get there in time. But still, a whole PA. And I was t- I was like stick-thin little 18-year-old <laughs> sort of. And then they, yeah, they, and that was kind of it. It was such a weird end that <laughs> we were like, oh. And I, I moved to Melbourne about six months after that. Okay. Yeah. And what made you move to Melbourne? Well, Brisbane, I just remember I just, you know, I would smoke a lot of dope. Yeah. I finished university. Yeah. What were you studying? Environmental science. Oh, yeah. And I did well, oh, yeah. but I was like, I want to be a musician. But it's it was hot. You know, it's hot. Um, summers are just endless. It's like, yeah. you know, the armpit of hell. And, and you, I'd be smoking dope and then I'd, I'd be four-tracking my little room and it was just fucking really hot. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> go up and, you know, then I'd eat some huge sharehouse curry, <laughs> you know, and then I'd just be sweating. I'd go back to sleep and smoke another joint. And it was a, it was kind of like... Fun, but really, I was like, I recognise even then when I'd finished uni. So it was about twenty twenty. Like I had to get out of here. Yeah, right, I'm going to get enormously fat, <laughs> and um, <laughs> I'm not going to get anything done. And it's at that time, all of a sudden, like you had your custards and your per- regurgitators. I sound like a cricket guy. You got your <laughs> custards, you got your regurgitators, your powder fingers. That was all starting to happen, but I was like, I'm not really connected to any of these people. Um, I lived with the guys from Webster, but mm. it's a slightly different scene, but. I don't really know how to break in, and they were, all those bands, the ones I liked and the ones I didn't, they were all like actually r- like real pro mm. musicians. Yeah, you know, so Regurgitator was like they yeah, were like real really, players, like, yeah, and you go, I was like, oh man, I can't, yeah. this is not grunge. This is like, yeah, you know, and uh, and the same with Custard, and it was like, I was like, I don't know if I quite got that skill level yet, um, but so I didn't really, I couldn't really break into that scene, and and I, you know. I just wanted to move to Melbourne because I'd had relatives there and they played music and yeah. I talked about it for years. I'm moving to Melbourne. Eventually, <laughs> I just got the train down. Oh, that's great. Um, and I moved to East St Kilda. And then you that's when you started doing your own music? Well, not for years after that. Oh, okay. Then I was probably 21. I remember saying to my dad, look, I'm 21 next month. I'm moving to Melbourne. If I don't make it in a year, I'm, I must have been more ambitious than I ever felt. Like... But I really thought oh, this time frame was really pushing me. Like I'm a washed up if I don't get in a band. Yeah. You know, I didn't mean make it like be famous, but you just know, do, just get be your shit be together. a musician. You know. Yeah. Um, and I moved down, and I didn't really do. I just I washed dishes. I had a four track. I made you know reams of four tracks. Um, socialized. Mm. You know, it took me years to really find people 
to hang out with in Melbourne. I had an, a friend from university and through her I met a lot of people. Mm. So I ended up having my little group of friends in St Kilda, but we weren't really musicians at that point. Yeah. Um, and then slowly I met people um, just through going out to bands and... Um, and because my uncle was, you know, quite a successful musician, I, I knew a lot of people who played with him, like Spencer mm. Jones, yeah, um, and Morris Frawley. Um, they're people who ended up giving me my, my first, like, they're like, "It's time to do a show," and I'd be like, "No," <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Cause you know those guys were tough, fucking. They look yeah. tough. They look like they just have a bucket of heroin for breakfast, and yeah. you know I knew them, so it wasn't like that. But it's still like, I couldn't see myself up." Yeah, you know, all that that whole crew had such a swagger and sort mm. of, and then great songwriters, and I was really intimidated yeah, by the, just because my stuff. I, I sort of wrote songs, you know, like I looked back over the names of my songs then recently, and it's like Puff Daddy goes to Thailand, <laughs> uh, which is some, um, just, just kind of weenie, yeah. I suppose, a, a, you know, a bit like a ween meets Morrissey. With John Spencer playing guitar, yeah, right. That was that kind of my, great. you know, that was <laughs> my thing. But I just couldn't really come up with anything great, and I was like, I can't do this. And get up on the, at the ESPY before, already, you know, Brian Hooper or yeah. Spencer Jones and Rock sing dudes. Puff Daddy Goes to Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, man, you know, we don't sing about that kind of stuff here. <laughs> can, can you sing about a fucked up relationship, man? <laughs> um, but but it was great and. Those guys actually a tremendous support, you know, just hanging yeah. around them and watching how they do it. And I ended up doing my first sort of public gig playing guitar for Morris Frawley because Charlie Owen couldn't do it. Okay. And and through through him, I met his flatmate Tom Carlion, who had a band called Luxedo. Mm-hmm. Started hanging out with them and played a bit of bass. He had a friend called Dan Brody who played with them, and then Dan asked me to play bass in Dan Brody and the Broken Arrows, which was like a country band. I was like, yeah. I, I don't. This is not, you know, because I sort of come up through Brisbane playing quite excessively sort of strange, you know, boy rock and roll, I suppose, yeah. was what I was doing. And and then I'm in like a country band, like yeah. doing EMI showcases. And I was like, <laughs> but I'd said to myself, I'm just going to say yes to everything for a year. Great. And just because I, I was just too shy. I was like, by then I'd played in Brisbane when I was young, but then for five years I'd never played and I, was, I did, couldn't stand up on the stage. And you hadn't done any solo stuff. No. Yet. And so I was just like, I'm just going to get up. And play, and then then we're doing stuff like blues fest, and I was like, okay, th- you do learn a lot of stuff about being a professional musician, even if I was just plinking away on country bass. Yeah, absolutely. and you learn, you know, what touring's like, and yeah, what um, how it's more about whether you get on with the people than oh yeah, then the music tends to get better that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that lasted about a year, and then I got out of that because as much as I re- really appreciated being able to do something like that, it just really wasn't anything to do with what I ever listened to. Yeah. Or played. Yeah. I just liked the people in it and yeah, I was sure. learning, you know what I mean? So, and I started doing my own thing about then when I was about 27. Did you play solo or did you always have a band? Yeah, the first thing I did was at the Greyhound Hotel and it was just solo. There was always a open mic night. I had done a couple of things just mucking around with my friend Ollie who played in a band called The Exotics who were a great sort of 50s uh, style sort of rockabilly band. Um, and we'd, we had a a joke group called Legends of the Fall where we just kind of that was the shittest name we could think of <laughs> it's pretty bad <laughs> um, you know we'd just bang uh, wheelie bins and he'd play sort of 
surf guitar. I mean, okay. It was sort of fun. But Sounds then cool. the bartender there um, said, I've booked you in for next week. Um, this girl called Annie. And I was like, no. <laughs> She's like, no, you're booked in. So I, I sort of went home and finished Puff Daddy Goes to Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> and another one called Nasty Street. And one called Stack and Hay about selling speed to farmers' children. <laughs> which I thought was, you know, hilarious at the time. But, um, and I got, and so uh, I did that and it was all right. Spencer Jones is actually there and he's like, that was okay. Aww, yeah, I was like, oh, okay. That's nice. Maybe I can sing this song in front of you guys. Um, <laughs> and, and Tom, my friend who I met, was there and he's like, I'll play guitar. And, uh, I just met the guys from the drones, uh, Gareth and Chris O. I was just thinking back to the drummers, but, you know, like, who is his drummer? So, um, and we just become friends. Yeah. Um, and they came to like my second open mic thing and Gaz like, I'll play, I'll play fucking bass for you. That's <laughs> cool. And I was like, I can't believe these because I'd just seen the drones and they'd just come to Melbourne. And Were they already they, the drones? Yeah, they were called the drones, but nobody really knew who they were. But they've been getting a couple of gigs because they were straight out of the box. Incredible live yeah. band. Like it, I mean, they kind of got better on, on a lot of levels. But the, whatever's really good about that band was there it was the just beginning. happening the first mm. time you saw them. And that was like, fuck. Yeah. So now it's like the, some of the greatest shit I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there here playing Puff Daddy Goes Thailand. And like, <laughs> I was like, I'll play. Chris, I'll play drums for you. And I was like, yes. <laughs> so then I sort of transformed into, into doing that stuff. But with a kind of a, more of a kind of back to the, a more scuzzy kind of rock and roll pavementy sound that I probably had okay. grown up on because yeah. those guys were just could do it yeah. and they were into it and they didn't, you know, that, you know, back then if I'd, I'd present something to them, if they didn't like it, Gaz would go, oh, that sounds like fucking Augie March. <laughs> and now he loves Augie March now and we're yeah. all friends. But at the time he was so, he, like he hated the strokes or yeah, right. anything, you know. he, he, he That liked, was like, like had pa- the pop sort of um, sensibility. Yeah, he was into Neubarten and... And I was just like, yeah. I mean, I learned a lot from playing those guys about actually having to stand up and play yeah. instead of like, oh, sorry. Yeah. But I could have gone this other way where I would have been more of a Jonathan Richmond style. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Which I probably am more so now. Yeah, I was going to say. Because my pretty... ears hurt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do kind of still stand like that. I mean, I don't yeah. think that you you don't stand like a Ramon. Yeah, I never quite got the open stance. Mm. I always looked a bit silly. Um, but yeah, so that was it. It was actually a long period of time before I even got to the point where I played in a thing that was my old, you know, my own concern. Mm. Uh, and I wrote songs. And I think we did an EP and that came out when I was 28 or 29. Okay. Um, so it was sort of a long... Yeah. Considering, say, Johnny Murray had finished The Smiths by 22. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> crazy going, to think about that. But on the upside, I think I had, I had worked out... I'd figured out that sort of a lyrical personality for myself well, I felt like my personality was it was really really influenced by a lot of things obviously mm. but it was kind of represented I didn't sort of come out as just a copy band no. which I think coming from that snobby anti-covers thing I've always been quite snobby about bands who come out and they just sound like Some, Joy Division or something, something. and yeah. people go these guys are incredible and it's just like but it's it's exactly it's a exactly copy. The, yeah. a copy it, you know so what? How were you approaching songs back then? Were you listening to Jonathan Richmond? Were you listening to Custard as influences, or? I probably, uh, when I started to probably write songs for my first thing, I was living in a share house in Elwood, and there was a, a, 
a guy who had a band in the house called Frank Sinatra's Dog, and they were really kind of bent, kind of cabaret country, but like quite nuts. So, and he'd have all these super geographical songs about meeting girls in Kazakhstan, and yeah, we started singing a lot of songs together and just making up songs to amuse ourselves. Like, um, you know, it's like I lost my baby in a tragic spear fishing accident at Black Rock on a Thursday yeah. in June. With, yeah, you know, and it'd be like, let's. And that was really fun and we, we just basically, we'd hunker down that house doing that all through freezing cold Melbourne winters. That sounds and awesome. And I would, we'd just tell stories and stuff and I'd end up sort of taking my more serious lyrics because you always write university style serious lyrics at first. Yes. I was then and you just look down and go, this is terrible. <laughs> this, is, this, is no, this is not emotion. And then I would sort of start m- m- sort of mutating the funny stories into that mm. and, and then kind of taking the really filthy bits out and being... And trying to sort of, ma- I tried to make it sound like I was still telling a story over the kitchen table. Yeah. And that seemed to be where I sort of fit lyrically, which is definitely, you know, influenced by certainly Brisbane stuff like Dave McCormack's mm. kind of suburban fantasy thing and and Robert Forster. Um, yeah. And, you know, obviously Paul Kelly as a narrative thing. Yeah. But it's probably, probably have a more Brisbane-y kind of wry yeah. sense of humour. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think, you know, and, and that... And Ray Davies, you know, was my big sort of... And Morrissey, they were, they were the people who were kind of... Even though I didn't exclusively, exclusively listen to those people, they were real keys in terms of me kind of finding my own... Yeah. You know, which is built on their sound, but then it's how I Developed. sort of found the way to sort of develop yeah. my thing. Um, and that's a, and just often with an electric guitar in, a, in an empty room because there was a spare empty room in that house. Oh, great. With wooden floorboards. Yeah. A lot of reverb. Yeah. So it kind of started off sounding like Neil Young and... You know, and then I'd kind of add these lyrics and then, then you pick it up. Once I started playing with the band, then they're like, how about a beat with this one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, hey, Triple J, here we fucking go. <laughs> Thanks for that beat, drummer. You're not getting any of the uh, songwriting, though. <laughs> so how are, you, how are you approaching songs differently now? Like, how do, do you still... Does the music always come first, or is, I know that's a bit of a silly question because I know it's probably different for each thing. But oh yeah, but essentially yes. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, your classic—I don't know—they call it phonetic songwriting. No, there's a word for it where you just kind of just grunt out words over music. Yeah. And then some of them stick. Yeah. That works for a lot of people, and it works for me. Yeah, it works it, for me sometimes. Um, but I can't. Yeah, I've, I've rarely written a lyric. I don't think I've ever written a lyric that wasn't before. Triggered by some kind of triggering is a very modern word. Um, yeah, just throwing that in there so that they listen to us and <laughs> on the west coast yeah, right. of um, America. But it's like, yeah, I was fully triggered by all the, you know, <laughs> that scenario. And um, so, is that what happened with Bindi Irwin? Were you just singing the phonetic sound? Something in the chorus sounded like Bindi and me, but yeah. it wasn't those words. But that was yeah. the noise I was making. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, and then I was like, no. Nah. And Indra, my bass player, is like, oh, dude, let's not even, <laughs> you know, you're not going to write a song about video, and I, and I was like, I can't now. It's there. Yeah. You know, and then it's I just, late. then I would often flesh out the, the verses, you know, and it's essentially a three or verse, three or four verse song. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a kind of a situation that, the sort of the the avatar of me gets into in yeah. a much more interesting world. <laughs> That's de- that's decaying and dying around him. Is it always the avatar of you in your songs? Oh, no, um, but there's a there's very few kind of super raw John Lennon 
Yeah. Yoko Ono style moments where I'm just letting out my inner pain. Yeah. Because I just, it sounds stupid when I do it. Does it? It sounds great when other people do it. You know what I mean? I try and put real emotion into my song. So it's, yeah. it's not meant to be gag central. But those sort of stories have sort of mostly fit. And there's songs on the new record that are, you know, certainly autobiographical on a lot of levels. But I'll often change the setting or, you know, I might. I might be in Greece or yeah. I just don't, you know. Otherwise, there'd be a lot of songs around just about me, sort of s- sitting around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go for a swim at the pool. Tropical bush ranger vibe. Exactly. So you, you've recorded, is it three or four albums now? Four by yourself. Four by myself. Yeah. And I've noticed. I mean, you or you always have a bit of an environmental theme. Do you, or do you find that, that your albums always sort of are, are a bit thematic? They're all a bit thematic. I mean, I think the environmental thing is what you're one, I started environmental science and I really wanted to do something with it, but yeah. I kind of got I got vaguely disparaged by it even then because I just thought, this, this is hopeless. Yeah. I know it's weak. I should have fought harder. <laughs> but um, but it's like the backdrop, I think, of all my songs is this kind of degraded environment. I think it's growing up on the Gold Coast mm. and just seeing everything just turn to shit really quickly all the time, fat architecture you know, dredging and marinas and highways and, you know, every nice bit of bush around your house would always end up being an industrial estate. And you could see it happening really quickly. Yeah, Whereas it's up, pretty depressing. Because that, that was a really fast-moving corridor. Other, other places you might live, you might live in some beautiful suburb of Melbourne and never really see anything change, you know. like for. But I think that really affected me. So that's why there's kind of... I like to sing about the environment and politics mm. without being, like, sort of didactic or... Well, have you been inspired by other artists that write political songs? Like, did you grow up listening to things like Woody Guthrie or Dylan? Or I grew. I was a massive Dylan family. Mm. Though I think those, you know, there was eight siblings on my dad's side. Yeah, they were probably more drawn to the kind of more esoteric, like from mid sixties on. You know, mm. we weren't, we weren't listen, exclusively listening to "Blowing in the Wind" and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> it was probably more like Frankie Lee and Judas Priest and that sort sure. of thing that my parents went because they were kind of hippies in a way. You mm. know, like a lot of people of that late sixties, early seventies. So hippies love that political shit, though. Yeah, right? yeah. And <laughs> the, 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 being a hippie was more political. Yeah. Then. I yeah, think. yeah. I mean, God, that's a whole other discussion. Yeah, we'll leave that. And for growing up in time. Queensland makes you political, and I had a lot of people in the family doing social work or environmental science or which in Queensland it's pretty well if you do anything that's not evil that then that's kind of political because the government will try and shut you down mm. so there's there's sort of an undercurrent of politicism in sort of everything that came out of Queensland in the 70s and 80s I, I reckon yeah either one way or another and I think that's affected me and I try and write about it but I try and write sort of questioning songs as opposed to I'm more like what's happening this yeah. is fucked up yeah. Um, rather than your Midnight Oil style, which is very exciting because they can pull it off. And, you know, well, for guards, you can sound very political, even if the lyrics aren't necessarily always as political. Well, you just yeah. don't know what the fuck they're saying a lot of time for guards, yeah. so they probably are quite political. But, but, you but just it's know the feeling, it's yeah. what they do and yeah. how they look after their crowd and what they charge. And, you know, you there's just a whole know political they're political dudes in general, don't yeah. you? Yeah. And that was, you know, that's kind of what. I think I grew up sort of being, but but I'm not really in bolshy. I'm just not kind of in, in. I go into question into conversations kind of more to sort of hear what's going on rather than to yeah. to pound people down with my internet <laughs> middle aged internet guys <laughs> opinion. 
Which is, I just yeah. get annoyed with people who try and tell me stuff. I'm yeah. probably just a dropout hippie <laughs> musician. <laughs> it's really funny how your um, Drunk on Election Night song just comes up every few years in different situations that fit it perf- like it fits perfectly into that slot. Yeah, I get it. I mean, it's depressing in a way because I think if this song's getting popular, I things know. must be really bad. Things are really bad. But on the, on the other hand, it's it's good to have it out there. It's like it's like I've got this like mini hit that no one yes. ever really played. Yeah. But now it has this, a strange life of its own. Yeah, you I know. do. I mean, I remember it coming up. Um, you know, when Campbell Newman came in and Queensland, and then yeah. you know, it's obviously come up now with Trump, and it's always just appropriate, even though it's you know it's quite old now. Yeah, it's harder to sing that now because, like, Hocksucker, which back then was kind of... I don't think it has any... It's just more dangerous. It has more connotations now because of the whole kind of... Everyone's been... It's, you know, the internet is super watching what everyone's saying. Yeah. There's not a lot of nuance in some of that stuff and it's like... And it's so not an anti-homophobic song, you know. It's like if I call someone a wanker, but it's just like I support wanking. You know I've never I mean? even thought about it as being yeah, offensive I know, but, in that way. But then all of a sudden, I just all of a sudden I was like, oh, are people going to take it this way? So I didn't play it that much. Yeah, you know right. what I mean. And I always do a preamble saying, uh, uh, "I love sucking cocks. I fully support it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. This, this is not anti men or anti women. Everybody sucks cocks. You know, <laughs> not everybody fucks their mother, but <laughs> but but then by the end, by the you've done this twenty minute preamble, you're just like, oh, I can't be bothered even playing it, but. <laughs> But I'm so, but I'm glad it still comes up, you know, because it's, yeah. it's 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 profanity, but it's quite sweetly sung. Yeah. So it doesn't. People don't even realize often that it's quite rude, because they're kind yeah. of like, my mum. I've heard her humming along, and they're going, oh. <laughs> it's not what quite as um, yeah, I yeah. I've told this story before, but I think it's it's not quite as obvious as I will lick your asshole. But that's pretty out there. Yeah, and, but you know. there's still something about the way he's popped that into that song that. Yeah, well, everyone's I having such a funky mid funky time <laughs> that then they're like, "Is he really saying that?" You yeah, know? I like that. I like the cheeky little. Yeah, well, I know. think there's also that um, you know, Blubber Boy got played on um, Triple M and stuff all the time, and he says the c word in that. Yeah, and I think nobody even noticed because they're like, "Oh, this is such a cool pop song." Yeah, that you know, he doesn't say it. That he doesn't really sort of stretch out the. Yeah. The, the consonants. I don't know are, why are I said C word then. I think I got self-conscious. Yeah, so you got self-conscious. <laughs> I got self-conscious. <laughs> um, so going back to your preamble, I've always been so impressed that you know, I've seen you play a lot. And every time I see you play, you, you tell different stories. I think you're one of the best stage banterers I've ever seen. Um. You know, sometimes you you talk for 20 minutes before you play a single note, which I love. Oh, you've got a recording of that show. I think that. <laughs> I think I might. <laughs> <laughs> the famous Globe Theatre <laughs> preamble. <laughs> I just um I just love it so much. Do you ever do you ever plan stories? No, I mean there's often there's often a pretty key story that goes with a song. Yeah. So I'm often horrified. I was like, I've got to tell that story again. So if I can, I really quickly I start telling the story and then free associate as quickly yeah. as I can. Sure. Probably like um, a stand up comedian, imagine how they do that. They must have a gut they must have a framework. Yeah, and absolutely. Then try and trigger themselves trigger themselves again <laughs> off into tra- a traumatic situation. <laughs> no, I just but it yeah, it just depends on the crowd and if they kind of if there's a good thing going on, I can just you can really feel that people are enjoying that. Mm. And I just don't 
I've never felt that comfortable getting up and pretending that I'm some kind of superstar because I'm not. But, you know, works for David Bowie or sure. or even Tame Impala. Or, you know, yeah. There's there's bands where you just want to be presented with this untouchable, beautiful thing. Yes. And but that that just just doesn't suit me. As soon as I started talking, doing solo shows, once the band finished, yeah. A lot of the band shows I just never really liked that much because they were noisy and I couldn't sing over the top of it. I really liked the music, but mm. you know, I. It was only after the Alphamales broke up that I started doing shows that I really felt like, ah, oh, that didn't suck. I was always mm. so embarrassed about everything I did, even if the band was great or I'd be yelping over the band or it would never sound like the record and I was really uptight about that. And yeah. I started doing these solo shows and just doing, telling stories about the songs and doing really loose versions of the songs and getting the crowd to sing along and you drop out halfway and... Yeah. You know, which again, yeah. it's like people like it's Jonathan Richmond moment. do that. You yeah, know, I've yeah. seen him live. You know, it's a humanist kind of thing. Mm. Well, people just like it more. Yeah. I mean, not in, obviously. In, I need to do a live record or something because I'm not selling oh, the recorded think you ones. Should. But then you'd probably feel the pressure of your stories if you're recording funny, them. Like, hi, yeah. um, funny thing happened My name's to me. Dan Kelly. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, love you. <laughs> love you. Um, yeah, because I I think that when I, I have found myself, I think more and more as I play solo. I've started talking a lot more on stage whilst before I was very much, you know, whenever I, I think the first review I ever got of one of my solo shows was that I put on a performance that made everyone in the room want to give me a hug oh. <laughs> because I think I was just so anxious. Like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's terrifying. Um, but now I think, you know, not that I'm like super confident now, but I think it's re- actually quite relaxing to make people laugh and to to be self-depreciating and you know it's really good it just it takes the whole you know tension of the whole thing down yeah dramatically yeah unless you just start to talk to them they don't well they don't want you yeah they don't care they don't care then it's then it's really bad yeah so i guess i really want to ask you the question of what your worst show is or just the strangest thing that's happened to you as part of your music career Okay, I mean this. That one before with the midget was pretty strange. Yeah, that's with the, really with weird. The stutter. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'm, the one I really hated is a show where I just end up hating myself. Oh no! Was um. Is this going to be a sad was, story? Was Meredith? We finally got Meredith. The first record came out called uh, "Sing the Tabloid Blues," and um. We got Meredith Festival. We were on Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Of course, we all went Friday because we're like we're doing Meredith, and then proceeded to party pretty hard. Yeah, for a couple of days. But I thought it'd be cool. We'll rehearse on the campsite on Sunday morning. A couple of guys are driving down. I think, but we would we'd been there for a couple of days, so it was a bit raw. But um, we went down to play. I think Lewis, the bass player, had had a bit of a big night. Like might not have slept kind of as you do at a festival dance sure. all through yeah um he was looking a bit spun out and i was really nervous it was going to go badly and then triple j was recording it all on their mobile thing oh no so the, the nerves were setting in anyway it's the yeah. middle of the day you know second last act on but there's still a big crowd there it's before the gift so most people haven't left what's the gift oh meredith gift is where you run nude Oh, um, right, right, yeah. In front of the stage and it's a, it's a, it's a race. Um, and then Xavier Rudd was playing before us and he just went on and on. He went 35 minutes over the set time. Jeez. 
Why didn't anyone stop him? Because he was Xavier Rudd. At the time, he was kind of like um, God. sort of independent, cool as well. Right. Um, and we were hating it. He was doing like a 25-minute version of Redemption Song oh, with no. like his into his sixth didgeridoo solo. <laughs> and we were just like, just going, oh, this is fucked. It's going to cut our set. And everyone was getting angsty and standing there in the sun. And of course, then, so you know, they got us on stage really quickly and, and they're like, you know, okay, go, go, go. And so we start playing with it. Our mixer was not re- really ready. And we didn't find out later until the, the, the PA didn't come on until like halfway through the first oh, song. Oh, no. So we're just sitting there, check out cutie doing this song. It just would have sounded like, like a little... Like, <laughs> playing like in a, a tiny um, box. Yeah, m- m- like one of those marching yeah. um, rabbits yeah. that they have in the battery ad. Yeah. <laughs> and then it came on and everyone's like, whoa, and the crowd's sort of there and... I just couldn't hear myself sing very well and I kept getting him to turn the monitors up but I think he had the wrong monitor because I could hear Lewis, the bass player's monitor coming up and up and up and mine wasn't. And I just did the classic thing where I just blew out my voice like really quickly, just sounding like... And you can, you know, this is Meredith, this is Meredith, it sounds terrible. And I'd also borrowed a pedal from Lewis, the bass player. Yeah. It was the first Green Line 6 pedal and I was like, this thing's awesome, it does all this stuff. But I was like, I won't use the loop stuff. I'll just use these delay sounds. Mm. You know, we'd run it once. Um, and I didn't... Of course, I would have clicked the wrong button immediately because I got no rhythm and just started to loop all my shit and trying to turn it off, <laughs> you know, in the middle of the song and oh, going... No. And I remember thinking, this is the worst music I've ever heard and I'm <laughs> doing it. And then every time you'd start to feel good, you'd look back and you'd see, um, you know, Triple J van out the oh. back sending it to the nation oh. and i'd be like oh i want to kill myself and it just went on and on and lewis then we had this new song um and lewis um just forgot the bass oh. and it was it was kind of funny but it just sounded terrible it's a big theater stage you know what yeah, i mean yeah yeah um and lewis finished the song and he said to the crowd i'm i'm made of spiders And everyone's like, what is going on? And I was just he made of spiders? <laughs> I think he was that day. But I've never felt so it. badly. I've blown it. I thought I'm, I won't make it back to Meredith for years. Oh. And I was like, this is, this is you know, you're, particularly as a Melbourne band, and we had good sales of the first record for that time, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. And there was an album of the week and it was just like, this is all, I was like, and we sort of been getting together as a live band, but we, I wouldn't say we were incredible yet. But I was yeah. like, this is the big one. And we sucked it so hard. I just remember going off stage and there was just dust everywhere. Oh. And there were guys running nude. Oh. Xavier Rudd was probably backstage, you know. Having getting a great a mass- time. Yeah, having a, a massage. Um, <laughs> and I just got in the car with my girlfriend at the time. We just drove to the to Geelong. And I stopped at a service station and had a Coke. And I was like, that was shit. <laughs> she was like, yeah, it was pretty shit. But I love you. <laughs> have you ever listened back? No. You know what? I think they might have even just gone, that was too shit to play. Yeah. So I don't know if it was live or I just thought it was the time. But they recorded yeah. everything. And then you were on this Triple J's Meredith special. Yeah, right. Um, and I think I've done three recordings for Triple J and every time I've sucked for three oh, various different cursed. reasons. So they've never... They th- Triple J just thinks I'm shit. <laughs> I'm sure they And they're kind of right <laughs> for those three shows. 
But I think they think I must be like, I think they think it's like a Milli Vanilli thing where someone else <laughs> is actually performing the Dan Kelly music. Because that's like, it doesn't sound like that song, dude. <laughs> oh. I don't know. That wasn't particularly weird. It was just horrible. Yeah, I just remember that just thinking, bad. And for years, it's true. Like but you kind of suck at Meredith. Yeah. You do take a big step back yeah. in, in the eyes of your contemporaries. Look, I think that it it's really the reason I'm sort of, I'm asking this question is because I think for people who have been doing it a long time and people who are starting out, I think it's interesting for everyone to just to know that these things happen to everyone. Like it, it doesn't matter at what point in your career you are, everyone has really fucking bad shows or really weird stuff happen to them. And I think this industry in particular, it's such a roller coaster. You know, I'm sure like the next show you played was probably one of the best shows you'd ever played. Yeah, it would have been to about, you know, 40 people at, at a different pub, but yeah, you would be but like, this is great. This yeah. is, I know, look, it's. And totally validated. Yeah. You know? um, yeah, some, look, failure is good. I'm, I'm, I'd see my career as a series of triumphant failures. <laughs> <laughs> and it's made me, you know, if I ever beca- became famous now, I, I, I think I would remain the same. I've beaten myself into a submission. Yeah, right. Psychologically, I'm quite. I, I, the ebbs and flows is a good way of putting it. Yeah. You're just like you don't. It's sometimes going to be good. Sometimes it's going to be really terrible. Yeah. And and not the times that you necessarily think either. Yeah, you know what exactly. I mean? yeah. Um, and oh, you might make it really big really quickly, and then three years later, you're all working at a guitar store. Yeah. Doing. You never know. You know, and people are like, oh yeah, I liked that song. Like it just doesn't really. So you you may suck, or you yeah. may have a career in music, and for some people, making a lot of money and then stopping, is probably a much better result than just hanging out for twenty five years doing it. Yeah. For other people, they'd probably rather. I mean, I'd like twenty five years of sustained, high income, multi success. Yeah. Well but I'll take twenty five years of just being able to play. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, see, it's amazing the the bands I've seen come and go and. Some have stayed and yeah. it's like if you start thinking about it, it's this kind of, it, it's such a ever morphing kind of little river that you're kind of floating around in. Yeah. Um, it is really interesting. And then you pop your head up and do something good. Other yeah. times you're just like, I'm just going to fucking. Yeah, I'm, like, caught, on on a a low, low. Yeah, I'm, I'm caught, caught on, on a twig. I'm caught on a twig. Caught on a twig. There's a beaver coming for me. <laughs> <laughs> this is, we're working on something here. Get out, get out the synthesizer. <laughs> I'm caught on a twig. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for talking to me, Dan Kelly. No worries. Thanks for letting let me ramble at you. I loved it. All right. Let's go to the beach. Okay. See you there. <laughs> Bye. Bye.